Hey everybody, welcome back to It's Tomorrow That Counts, the podcast that is here to help inspire us to drive our internal motivation, encourage us to fulfill our dreams and purpose, to create a positive mindset whilst being mindful. With focus, patience and a trust for the process, we can and will achieve. It's time to choose your direction and commit. So here we are. Thank you, uh, Jonathan, for joining me today on It's Tomorrow That Counts. Pleasure. Um, today, um, the reason why I asked for you to, to join me today on the podcast is because we've got a very similar situation in our background. Um, I know for yourself, I think it was 40 years ago now that um, you lost your father, Len, uh, to, to cancer. And you were 14 years of age at the time. And for myself, it's going to be um, 27 years um, this month that I lost my father, which I was the same age as you. And I also lost my father to cancer. And I know how it affected me at the time. And I know how it still affects me now. Um, and I know there's a lot of people out there that really going through this and it's a, it's a huge part in people's lives is cancer as long as other along with a lot of other diseases um but cancer is certainly something that's touched me and my family deeply and learning to accept grief and live with grief and drive through it is something that i still trying to do now and with yourself um having really been through a lot but also gone on to help a lot of people um over the years and you still continue to do that um especially being the president of Valindra, from being a patron to ambassador to the president it's um i probably couldn't speak to anybody where it's closer to their heart than than for yourself but what i wanted to do today was try and just give something back to listeners where we can give them an idea of how we feel, how you feel, um, and that it might be okay for them to feel as they feel today and not to really judge themselves too much. So I just wanted to go through a few areas of, of your life and maybe touch on a bit of my experience uh, of before, uh, during, and after and, and how okay. we dealt with Okay. I just think that, you know, we're not, we're not unique in this situation. I think there's a lot of people out there who've gone through similar things and, uh, you know, people um, cope with it differently. But the one thing is, you know, I think you can't have guilt about it because you can't do anything about it. You know, it's not your fault. It's not nobody's fault, really. Um, and sometimes the only guilt you have is if you almost spend time with them, maybe, and you think that's, that's, you should have done something differently. But you can't because what happens is you don't know when it's going to strike. Uh, who is going to strike, and then all of a sudden, when it does strike, the whole life goes puts on kind of a, a, a different perspective because everything else stops, and the only thing that matters is treatment and hopefully, you know, results. So that's the first thing. You know, if anyone harbors any guilt for some reason, it's, you know, the guilt is not about the death. It's about because it's 
you, you can, no one knows when it's going to happen, who it's going to happen to, and how long it's going to take. And then ultimately, does, does the person survive or doesn't survive? So I think that's the first thing you have to say is if you've anyone's got any guilt, is just forget about it because that's not going to help anyone and it's nobody's fault. And um, I think, like I said, the only guilt you could have had is maybe spending more time with that particular person. But uh, it's, uh, you know, circumstances change drastically when, you know, someone gets gets a cancer. So that's the first thing I'd say. Okay, I think um, that's true because I've gone through a lot of areas in my life, really, where I've sometimes I felt guilty for, for certain aspects. Um, like with, with your father, Len, what, what were your memories of, of your father before he was diagnosed? I think the main one was because in those days as well, it was different. People they worked. You know, my dad worked in the steelwork, so he went to work at. He left the house at eight. He didn't see him till six, um, and he loved the game of darts. So he played darts, then they played. Then he, you know, he trained rugby, um, and then he started the the youth team up. So, you know, what we saw the, the main thing for us was the. You know, the, the odd time he came home from work, we had food together. Uh, then watching him, you know, going to uh, train with the youth or do things with the youth team. But ultimately, the main thing was Saturday and a Sunday where I travelled with him, you know, whatever they went on a Saturday. And then spent all day Sunday. And I think the, the abiding memory for me is uh, kind of being on, on the beaches with my mum and dad on, uh, on a Sunday during the summer. That was the... That was the main thing for me because, you know, I was very young. You don't know what you, you know, don't know what you're doing really at that age. So um, it was uh, the, the, just the memories were of him working hard um, and just having a happy, you know, household. I think he was, I think they were, he was strict as well. So if I stepped up the line, I surely knew it. You know, the before the non-hitting of kids, if I did something wrong, I'd had a, had a good smack on the on the ass. So uh, you know, and I think that was good that it instilled discipline into me anyway. Um, so um, that was that, those are my fondest memories, you know, going, you know, going to uh, holidays and things like that. I think that's very similar for me because I think my father was very strict with us, you know, myself and my brother, especially if uh, if we were playing up, our heads would be banged together, the back door would open, out we go, and we come back in when we sorted ourselves out, you know. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, it's that's what you need. You know, you needed, I think you needed discipline and and you needed love. And I think when when you remember dad are there, they they kind of share the responsibilities like they should, uh, like most parents should. Did you get did you get a lot a lot of love from your father? I'm just thinking from me. My father was quite hard, so he wasn't the kind of person to uh, really show a lot of emotion. Really, I think that was the generation they grew up in. I think it's uh, if you look at you, you see a lot of stories, and you, I, I get interested in you know people like you know your Billy Connollys and your, your Russell Keynes, and um, you know you read stories about how disciplined parents were, and I think the dad took the role of the disciplinarian. He worked hard, you know, he expected standards of behaviour, and if he didn't, um, you know. Reach those standards, you'd know about it. And um, but also, I think that because of the the work, uh, you know, the hard working kind of ethics that they had, they had no time for maybe you know the 
sitting down on the sofa and having a cuddle with your dad like those things didn't happen, did they? So uh, it was, um, I think it was, it was, um, I suppose, just uh, those those days were kind of, that's the way it was, I suppose. I think very much then as well. I don't know, I don't suppose it's much different these days for a lot of people, but the social life over the, you know, my father was um, a member of the local um, working men's club, you know, yeah. so... There would be darts three days a week. There'd be the pool yeah. lights. There were skittles. Yeah. Um, there was always so much going on that so That's what life. it was. So yeah. you were always in the house with your mum. Always. You know, and she, and she was the week. one who, and you know, you can say like, oh, you know, sexist or old-fashioned. I don't give a ball. That's what people think. Yeah. You know, whether they were right or wrong days. My mum had a role in the house. She loved it. Uh, my dad had a role in the house. So... It's it, it it was what it was. Uh, they they loved each other immensely, uh, and we were happy. So, like I said, there was discipline in the house. There was routine, um, but there was a lot of love in the house as well. So, you know, I couldn't have wished for you know a better better upbringing until my dad you know passed away. Um, so, um, you know, there's I don't care. There's a lot of snowflakes around um, at the moment, thinking that they know better. And how things should be, but you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too sure sometimes. I think it's very easy to make a judgment when there's more opportunity and more options. I think you know, many years ago, the options that my father worked in the steelworks, um, you know, and the options were, were few really, and it was a way of life. Um, yeah, exactly. That's how, that's how people lived, and and that's how yeah, and we weren't, you know, you come, you don't come from affluent backgrounds, um, you know. You, the the scope for things to do now for kids is is totally different. You know, I would I would go out on a weekend in the morning, and then no phones, and then be back before it's dark. Yeah. That was that was it. That was you know behave yourself because if I didn't behave myself, and news would get back to my dad that I did something, or you know like nick some apples and they've caught me, I would suffer the consequences. So you knew your guidelines. Um, it was just, I, I think it's a simpler life then, and I do, I do appreciate that uh, because it's harder for kids these days, you know, with all different uh, options, uh, different places to go, um, so, you know, Wi-Fi, social media. So it's, uh, it is, and I think there's more pressure on kids these days because the more options they have, maybe it's it's better environment to live in, but I'm not sure if that is the case. You know, it's just, it's a... It's a balance of life, and as long as you are happy and you realize the opportunities you have there, um, I think that's uh, that's the important thing. I think we had a better balance. You know, I remember with our our friends, like you said, we'd go out all day. Um, you know, you might take your tent with you, or you'd be over the fields. Yeah. You know, you take your fishing rod, and you'd be gone, and your parents didn't even worry about you. It's not because they didn't care. You look, look, you had a fishing rod. These are my fishing rods. <laughs> Tickle under stones. <laughs> the odd time you get a water raft, which is not nice, and it's so you know, we hope you don't bite you. But uh, yeah, we'd all those different, different things, you know. Like, and it's, when, it's a bit like that at the moment, to be honest, because you're spending so much time together and we're going on walks and we're going for a walk. And maybe if you're caught short, it's easier for a man, but I, uh, yeah. you know, for some of the, of the family members who are not male. When they get caught short, you know, I, I, I introduced them to dock leaves last week. <laughs> so uh, that, was, that was something new for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, so in terms of when, when you found out um, your father 
had cancer. Now, mm. for you, I think it was a, it was a, a longer time between finding out and you know when 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 your father passed. How, how did you feel at the time? What was your understanding of it? Um, I, th- I think. Where where was your father treated? In Valindra. Well, there we are. So, you know, it's where the Valindra went or something like that, isn't it? Or a singleton or... I, I think the first thing in those days, right, you didn't know, no one knew what cancer was, to be honest, unless you were really specific. You know, my dad, was you know, didn't look very well. He started going downhill very quickly. And then he had the jaundice. So all of a sudden, you could see, like, the yellow tint in the in the in the skin and then you know, you know something is not right here then all the deliberation of what and who deceive and then ultimately the choice was the only the only place in the uk was cambridge Ardenbrooks hospital now Ardenbrooks hospital in those days were like you know world away because there was no m4 so uh you know it'd take about eight hours to get to cambridge in the car um so you know my mum didn't drive so my uncle from Cardigan would come up, pick my mum up from Cardigan, maybe drop her off in Penn Arthur, where her other brother would drive her to Cambridge then. And she would have to stay there for weeks or months on end because of the treatment dad was having. And that was that was the hard part, not, not knowing your dad is ill, but also then not having your mum at home because she wanted to be by my dad's side, rightly so. And having that balance, you know, you can imagine my mum thinking, right, you know, what do I do with the kids? Or, but lucky, I lived in a council estate and my grandmother lived next door. So she looked after us. And I think because we had a, a grandmother and a very close-knit community on the street, everyone could have mucked in and looked after us and checked if we were all right and everything. But, you know, at that age, 11, 12, you don't realise maybe the dangers. So the only thing you did, you, you missed your mum and dad and you had the old phone call. Um, so... I think it ju- you just, it was part of life, thinking that, okay, uh, my dad's got to be there you know, to see if he's got, you know, any chance of, of surviving. And I think, realistically, not knowing, you know, what the disease was, my mum would try and protect us. And that's what I did with my kids. The fact that once my wife had it, you know, it's not, you try and keep life normal, as normal as you possibly can. So you go to school, you know, you play with your friends. It's, you know, it's not normal because you remember that, aren't they? But ultimately, it's you, 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 your parents try and protect you from, you know, the worst case scenario. So I've seen a lot of different people handling it differently and some come out and say, oh, maybe it's what's wrong with them and how it's going to affect family life and they might die. You know, I think that's the wrong thing. Ultimately, protect your, your kids. They know something's wrong instinctively. Otherwise, your mum and dad wouldn't be away from you. So the kids aren't aren't stupid and they adapt. So my mum just tried to protect us as much as we can. Now my grandmother, you know, hiding their feelings, um, but only chatted to us when we asked questions. So that was a very very tough time. That was because um, you know not not being with my mum and dad. That was the hardest thing. Um, so, but just trying to keep life as normal as you possibly can do you think you look at that differently because you know bless you but you've you've had both ends of it so in terms of obviously being you know 14 years of age when you lost your dad um and i got my perception of i remember when i was told i remember being in my auntie's house 
and my mother getting us kids together and saying, I've got something to tell you. Um, so I still remember all that really clearly now. And my mother was 35 years of age and she had four children. And I remember how she told us and I, the journey as, as we went through that six week period before we lost my father. Um, but for you having now lived both spectrums, do you, did you look at how it was handled in a different way when you had to handle it yourself? I don't think there's um, a right or wrong way to handle it. I think, I think my mum was, I think just looked after us because she didn't want us to, to worry. And I think then when he came back and then as the cancer spread to his stomach, then you could see ultimately how cruel his disease was because he was, in, he was bedridden in the house. And there was a, you know, there was a, an eventuality about it. You, know, you knew the outcome wasn't going to be great, and it was just weakness. Because every time I went to school, you know, give my dad a kiss before I went to school, and then like rushed straight home and went up to see him straight in bed afterwards. You know, and then um, it was again we just tried to go on with life. You know, understanding the the seriousness of the situation and trying to be there for your mum. Um, but it was, um, you know, I, I was in, I remember you know, my, my, I was in school, I was in a class in school and my uncle came in and uh, as soon as the deputy headmaster came in, Mr. Pierce came into the class, before, before, when he said, mentioned my name, I knew straight away what was wrong. And my dad had died when I was in school, so I went home. I didn't, I didn't, um, it was odd because I didn't, I didn't cry in the car with my uncle. I didn't cry like, when he, uh, when he told me, but as soon as I went home and, and, I, and I saw my mum, I cried on the doorstep. And I think I, I, people have different ways of handling grief. Um, so what did I need? I don't think I needed counselling. I kind of understood it myself. Um, I don't think it's wrong if you need counselling. Uh, I'll come on to that later on again. But... I had my sister, um, I had my mum, my mum was amazing. She was tough as, tough as old boots, like, you know, and she just, she's broken because she loved my dad a bit. Um, but it's one of those things that, I don't know, it was just, you take it day by day, and I say this all the time, you just take it day by day, and um, I went to school, I went to the youth club, and I can't, I can't remember if, you know, if I, if I cried or, it's just a, such a long time ago. You know, I was grieving, I was so upset and um, losing my dad, but, you know, in the important times of your life, I suppose. And then from then on, because of the toughness of my mum, I think it kind of instilled it in me. So I kind of took the role on a bit then of, and I just, I got kind of tough. And it's it's odd, um, you know, I remember going to the funeral and I, you know, I've never been to a funeral before. Um, I went to Morriston Cemetery, which is kind of miles away from us, but the nearest cemetery. I just couldn't get over the amount of people there. You know, my dad, because my dad had played for um, different clubs and he was kind of well-known in the area. And I just, oh, it blew my mind the amount of people I came to visit to see him. So, and I think I cried. I don't know if I, it's such a long time. I think, I don't, I don't think I cried in that funeral. I said, right, I'm not going to cry in front of people. Oh, um, and then I think I cried, I don't know if I cried when I went home, I think. And that was it, like, but I can't remember, you know, what people say, you've got to grieve, you've got to grieve, you've got to grieve. 
I don't really understand what that is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I to be honest. I get that. For me, I, I remember when I found out. So it was uh, one of my father's best friends was um, looking after us in the house because um, my mother was at the hospital. So for me, six weeks is a very short period. And I remember yeah. going Because your to, dad, once he was diagnosed, and then once he died, it was six weeks, was it? Yeah, he didn't come home. Well, like mine, mine was like 18 months, see? Yeah. But then he was away, and then he came back, and then he cleared. Because... My dad's the first one to have a liver transplant, I think. Wow. So, so there's different, you know, you kind of maybe in my, in my term, 18 months, you kind of, I don't know, you, you kind of uh, start accepting it, not accepting it, maybe understanding it and then knowing the process and coping with it more because it gives you time to think. But, I don't know if that's good or bad, to be honest, because you live in this kind of bubble, which is horrendous, and how long that bubble lasts, whether it's longer or shorter, you know, it's just very difficult to say which is which is best, because none of them are, a, you know, a very good scenario. No, that's right. I think for me, you went in to have a back, um, look at having a back operation in the Heath. Um, they did the x-ray, found out that they had... Um, cancer in his lungs and it spread right throughout his whole body so yeah. you know he's riddled with it and they moved him then to Valindra so I went to the Heath to see him once and then they moved him then to Valindra um, and I think for me because the last year before my dad passed was probably the best part of my relationship with him before that we really didn't have a lot of connection you know I was very much my mother's boy because my brother was older was the firstborn so yeah. my brother was kind of that and I was my mother's boy I guess but then I got into motorbikes and into my fishing and my me and my father really created a relationship so when he went to hospital it was okay and then when they moved into Valindra my mother told us he had cancer I was like wow so you kind of I didn't have google I didn't have nothing where I could go and have a quick look and see what no, it was no, at the time no. in terms of um what I'd have available to me so you just ask what it is, you try and find out, you know, what it is. And um, yeah, I, I kind of knew, I, I knew that this was, was not a good thing. And although I prayed every day that there'd be a, a cure, I kind of knew in my heart there wasn't going to be. And <clears throat> it got to the point then where two weeks before um, he passed, I made a decision that I wasn't going to go back to Valindra to visit him, mm. which was really difficult for me. And why I felt that way at such a young age, I don't know. But I remember seeing him change. And I yeah. remember just saying to my mother, he, he, he's looking different. I don't want to see him looking yeah. different. No, I, well, I understand that because no. my dad, you know, played rugby. He was 14 half stone or 14 stone. Like when, when he passed, he was five stone. So, you know, you can imagine what he looked like. And, uh, and, and that's, that's odd because, you know, I went, to, I went to see him every day and I looked after him and all that. But you could see, like, it was, it was a, it's an absolutely horrendous time. So people don't appreciate it, how bad it is when you're going through it. And um, I think with me, it was a fact that the one thing I've done now is, I mean, because my sister and I are quite, you know, quite close, I'm obviously very close. But every year on, the, uh, the, um, on his birthday, they go and put something down in, in Morriston. Uh, Kreb, you know, like the, it's your little patcher. I have not been there once. Wow. Wow. Because wow. Then that's the thing. I don't want to go there. 
I want. I don't want to go there. I I, I remember the creme and the creme was when it was full of people there. You know, coming to you know, you know, you know, give it send them, give them a good send off. So I remember that, and I don't need to go and see where where his ashes are to remember him. But to me, I want to. You know, that's the, and and I think people tell you, oh, you know, you, you got you got time to grieve. You got time to grieve. You got time to grieve. And I'm going. I don't really understand that. Yeah. Because yeah. I think you I think you grieve all your life. 100%. But you got you know you got to you got to like I was very lucky I could co- I could compartmentalize things when I had to. And I think right okay I have to do this this because when you think of it all, all the most important decisions in your life there's no one there to look to ask for advice because your dad's gone. So you take on even more responsibility of the family. And then you say, right, okay, is this the right decision? And in a way you go, right, well, if it's not the right decision, there's no one else to blame except yourself. So, you know, I do, I do miss my dad immensely every day because I, I, I see people with their dads and they think, oh, my dad, this, my dad. And you think, you don't know how lucky you are Still hurts, to, have a, to have a dad. And I had a stepdad straight away, Ken, Ken the Brips. And he lost his wife through cancer. And he never, he never wanted to replace my dad. But he was there for me all the time, so you know he was he was great. But the the main reason Ken was there it was not really for me. It was company for my mum, and that was that was the important thing. If I realised my mum was happy, obviously you have not not going to be happy every day because yeah. even yeah. you know every marriage is is different. But I knew she had someone there when she needed it, and then she always knew we were at the end of the phone. So I think it's. You know, when I talk about it, sometimes I get emotional. Um, but and I never saw a counsellor, you know, and I just thought, right, you know, it is what it is. And there were different times then, so um, you know, I've just learned to kind of get on with it, um, fill my time, you know. But then when I need to think of my dad, I think about him. I speak to my mum about it. Um, People come up to me now and you know said, "Oh, I work. I worked with your dad. I played with your dad. I remember your dad. Um, you're the spit of it. You're the spit of your dad, like you know." And that's nice because I didn't know much about my dad. Yeah. You know, and you get photographs and everything. So, you know, I just um, I go back to Zimbabwe and then they, you know the old guys who played with him go, "Oh, you know, as good as your dad anyway." So I'm going, "Well, you know," and that's and that's the way it is. So I've that's still nice. got that connection to Zimbabwe. I'm. Um, I think it's a different thing now. My mum's been there for me, you know. Like, you know, my mum's eighty-one. She's still fit as a fiddle. Like, and now again, that's my dad lives through my mum. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So I can still, you know, I talk and I chat, and she sees me, and she, you know, so um, that's uh, you know that's nice. So I just, I just mentally toughed up a bit. Um, and then I kind of, I think, I, I don't know if I, like I said, I don't know if I grieved or not, but you grieve every day. If, you know, if you think about it, you've just got to say, right, okay. If you, you just got to put it out of your mind a little bit, I think, and then just get on with life. And then, because people say, oh, well, you know, I, I think people are different. People, it's odd with death. Some people just hang on to it and they can't get over it. Some people never remarry. Some people, you know, my mum loved my dad more than anything in the world. And if she spoke to Ken, my stepdad, Ken would know that my, that my dad was her first was was her first mm-hmm. love. But then, in saying that again, 
Ken's wife passed away with leukemia when she was 21, right? So his first love had passed away as well. So, you know, they were companions. Yeah. And um, so it's, it, it, I don't know, it's, you, some people just don't get over it. And I think any advice I've got to say is, look, you, you've got to try and move on. You have to move on. You're only here once, right? And you've got to make the most of it. And also, my dad would not have wanted my mum to live for 60 more years being a miserable old cow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like either gone, I fucking pull your socks up, get on with it, get on with life. We had what we had. We, we were given a bad deal. You know, you've got to get on with it. Otherwise, you're going to drag everyone down, drag your kids down, drag your family down, and, be, and you're going to be fucking miserable. So what you got to do then is you got to say, right, okay. And then you've got to buck your mum up. You've got to buck your sister up. They've got to buck you up. You look after each other. When you're down, you can call them. You know, when you're having a bad moment, you know when they have a chat about them. So I just think, you know, you just you just try and move on because, and then don't, this grieving thing, oh, you got to grieve. You've got to, you know, to do what you want because no one's got to write a book about it. And I really enjoyed, you know, I don't know. If, did you watch uh, Afterlife? No, I haven't watched it yet. I've heard, uh, heard yeah, a lot I, about I, it. It's, it's, it's dark humour, right? And, you know, you can, you know, I tried to, I, I had a couple of glasses of red wine that night. And I was just going to, I was going to, I tweeted Ricky Gervais. Yeah. I'm obviously not going to get an answer back. But the way it's so well written, explaining your ups and downs and your moping, I know he mopes and I was like, <laughs> I couldn't give him a kiss, but anyway, yeah. because his life is shit. And it does, you know, touch on a few things um, that, that does happen. But, you know, you got to just, you just, because you just, you just got to try and make the most of your life because you're only here once and no matter how difficult it is. And when you do have a bad time, you think back to thinking how bad it was when, when you're going through that, you know? I think so. And like when you're talking about the, you know, the, the crematorium. So for me, when I go back up to uh, Thornhill where my father yeah. was buried, when I go back up there, it's, um, I remember at the time, so this was back in 1993, there was only one grave in the top corner and that was his. So I remember seeing, I remember seeing all these people standing around there as, you know, he was lowered into the floor and we put a, you know, the, the yeah, flowers in. And whenever I walk up that hill now, and obviously there's a lot more graves there, you know, that's all these people who pass. But as you walk up, I vision that. I always see all those people. And I always see the moment. It takes me straight back to that moment. Yeah. So it's probably, for me, one of the very few times that I get emotional when I do that. So I've tended not to do it as much as I used to. Mm. Um, it's my way because when my when my father passed, I remember crying for about five ten minutes when I was told. Um, I then cried at the funeral, and I didn't cry again until I think it was my eighteenth birthday. And I went out and I was with all all my friends having a bit of a drink, and I remember just it came into my mind, and I remember just running around the town centre, um, you know, like this young intoxicated full of alcohol person idiot, idiot. yeah <laughs> massively you know my life's so terrible i lost my dad yeah, i remember I know, I know. having that I know. outburst of 
really feeling sorry for myself. Um, yeah. But I bottled it up for years and I did that, but I've never done it since. And I always kind of blocked it. But when, when your father had passed, what was the, the community like? What was um, oh, you're amazing. the family, the school? Did you have a great support? Yeah, my, you know, I came from a little village. I've only 1,500 people in the village. And my dad was a big part of it. And my mum done the rugby club when I came. And I was part of the rugby community. And, um, you know, they all, like, when my, the day my dad died, I went back home from school. I went down. I never knew he'd passed away. I went down the, the welfare hall that night and played table tennis and pool. Yeah. And, no, and I walked in. Everyone knew he was dead. And everyone did. He said, oh, you know. You okay, you okay, John? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then, like, you know, I kept on playing. I went home in, and, you know, my mum was everything okay. And, you know, because we got on with it when he was ill in the house. And that's, that was my kind of, that was my way of getting over it, getting out there and, do, and doing things. And um, I think, you know, people got to remember, the main thing is there's no right and no wrong way doing anything. People say and judge you, why you are, why you doing this, you know, just, you. That's the thing. Yeah. Is you've got to, you've got to just, you just got to do it. You know, that's the thing. You just got to do what you think is right, and and what's your coping mechanism. So there's no right and there's no wrong. If you want to go and see and speak to someone, speak to someone. If you don't want to speak to someone, don't want to speak to someone. But I do think you need to speak to someone if you're not if you're feeling down, whether it's family member or whether there's someone else. So, is there anybody in particular that you confided in around that time? Did you have a, like a best I, I, mate, or did you have? Um, was there a group of you that were, were kind of close? Uh, yeah, you know, people would understand me, and if I if I got upset over something, I'd have a, you know maybe a little weep or something. But I, I don't think. I, I think it was my it was my mum. Yeah, my mum was the one that you know we spoke to. Uh, my gran was there. Um, because I didn't know anyone who'd been through what I went through. Yeah. So, you know, how can you speak to someone? And, and people are uncomfortable with, with death. Yeah, very. And so people don't, people don't know how to, and like when I go on these Valindra bike rides now, there's two, you know, I, and people get upset because they're doing this too tough for them. And then they get emotional because when things get tough, they remember why they're doing it. You know, their sisters died or their mothers died or father. So I, I, I'm, I don't mind. I, I say, come on, I give them a cuddle because I'm not scared of it. And I said, do you want a cuddle? Do you know want a cuddle? What do you want to talk about it? What do you want to do? You know, anything you want to do, just tell me and I'll do it. Like, if you want me to yeah. get lost, get lost. So I, it's at the time, I didn't have anyone like that. So I think we just kept a close family unit and people respected you know, my emotions at the time because of the close of the community. So no one didn't have to mention it because we knew and everyone knew what had happened. And you just you just try to get on with life as, as normal as you possibly could. So, mm. and I, ne I would never was the one, maybe the one thing that I, I failed, um, I should have stuck to school a little bit more, but my discipline went, you know, because the dad was a disciplinarian. So I should have been better in school and revising. I didn't revise as much as I should have because I was just out playing you know, with, with my mates all the time. So, but you know that's the one thing I regret, I suppose. 
but I uh, found myself taking on because <clears throat> um, my mother, me and my mother were very close. So straight away, I found myself taking on like a father figure in the house. Yeah, I remember, yeah, you know, plaiting my sister's hair and taking it to school, um, you know, going out and working and in money, bringing it back into the house straight away, yeah. you know, trying to support my mother and everything that she'd done, you know, because yeah. in fairness to my mother, like your mother, you know, she, she was a rock, you know, and yeah. how she dealt with it. We had, it, this is, you know, little, this little thing. So the local working men's club, so every year there'd be a trip to Barry Island, you know, as most of these places had. So every year we'd have a, a trip to Barry Island. Um, and my father had passed. So the committee said that this year, my father died in the May, that we couldn't go because it was a male only members club and there was no male to sign us in, that her four kids had just lost their father in May and it was August now. We couldn't go to Barry Island there was no mail to sign them in that's rubbish you know um and you know even at the time of the funeral because um my dad's family wanted to play there must there's probably some more behind it but in general there is three brothers who incidentally two of my uncles have both passed of cancer now as well since um they wanted to play he ain't heavy he's my brother at the funeral um, my mother didn't want to play that, you know, she said, because the kids are there. So even at the point of the funeral, there was two separate wakes. All the Delves went for one separate wake somewhere else. And then all my mother's family and friends went the other side. Yeah. And at that time, I didn't even realize this was going to happen until it happened. So we went back to where we had arranged the wake. And we didn't even realize that the Delves weren't going to turn up. So they all went to a separate wake. Um, and at that point, obviously looking at my mother thinking, wow, like this is a lot to deal with, you know? Yeah. And she yeah, but with... that's, it's, yeah, it's, that's tough on it because, you know, there's, you can't, there's no, no, there's queer as folk, is it? And, yeah. uh, you know, my dad's two sisters didn't really want anything to do with us after that. Hmm. So we didn't, we know, that was it. So my, they alienated my mum and they kind of alienated us. But it was all their choice, and I, you know, it didn't it didn't bother me just like this. That's what does that happen with us? And I, I know. Think... So, you, but that's the thing, you know, you can't please everyone. You want to please, and it's up to them. It's, you know, it's your mum's the the main one, and the kids are the priority. And they should have like kind of, for me, that was, and then I went. Like, you know, I did go hard nose in. I just went. I toughened up very very quickly, and um, you know, I didn't suffer. I don't. I didn't suffer fools. I don't suffer fools. No, no. much. And um, but that's that's sort of that's what it does to you. So you you either you either kind of and if you you know you gotta be careful against you know you toughen up or you know you can't use man up or something like that. But in those days, in those in those situations, what do you want to do then? You can you could call it whatever you want, right? Yeah. You can either crumble and then be a gibbering wreck and affect the rest of your family for the rest of your life. Or you just go say, right, hang on a minute, I've got to do something here. I've been given a, you know, a bad deal here, but, you know, it's not going to affect my life forever. And, but it will, it does affect your life forever because subconsciously, your dad's there. Yeah. He's never going to go away. So it's, it's one of those things and people can say things all the time. It's just like this. 
it's your decision. And, um, you know, you got if you're happy with it, you know, so be it. I think it's been grateful for the opportunity is in terms of once you say, okay, well, why are you sad? Okay, for me, I was sad that my dad only lived a short life. Very sad mm. that he didn't get to see us grow up. Very sad I didn't yeah. have a point with him. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know how you feel that the fact that, you know, your father hasn't met his grandchildren. I've got three children and it still kills me now. It, it yeah. still really hurts when I think, oh, I'd, I'd love for him to have just have met them, you know? Um, yeah. But at the same time, I also feel that if I feel that sad that he didn't get that opportunity, then surely I should make the most of it because I've got it. And I try and balance that off about how I live my life. And yes, it is difficult and we are yeah. all different, but there's, yeah. there's an element of character building in life. And oh, we're not the only to. people that will ever have suffered in any way. And you look, you know, you look back at it, right? There's a lot of people worse off than us. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I remember on, and like, you know, like, let's say that's my dad's part of my life. That's, that's, that was it. That's in my DNA, right? Like, then I went to do sport and then I didn't get, you know, any honours in school and I, think I tore my crew shit ligaments. And then, but that determination and drive then on, on the back of that tragic circumstance, it just drove me, you know, to, to things I wanted to achieve. And, um, and I, you know, I miss my dad every day, you know, I'll, I'll, because it's, it's different. I think the relationship with his, his stepdad is different. You only have one dad and all that. And I think it's, it is, so I miss him every day. And, uh, you know, I just hope that you think, right, I'm doing the right decisions. I've done the right things in life. Um, you know, give my mum a few grey hairs <laughs> during my time. Uh, but you know, I, I think I've, I've done okay, and I think my dad will be proud of me. And he, and then you come on to a different part of your life, then. Then when your responsibilities are change because of it's not yourself anymore. Yeah. And I was the same. So you know, I, I appreciate my time with the kids. But again, you know, when you're starting off in work and with the family, you know, it's the hardest time to try and share everything, you know, and be the best dad. Maybe spend some time with them, but then you work in. You know, I played on weekends, but you know, it's it's just difficult. My wife had cancer then, and she passed away. You know, when she was thirty-five, and I think that's a different, different situation altogether. Because then, when my dad was there, I had my own, just myself to look after. Maybe my mum would look, you know, got to look after herself. My sister, but then when my wife passed away, and I and I had kids. It's like a totally different situation. It's not about your feelings because I knew what it was like having been through it. And again, I compartmentalized so much when my wife was ill. Doing, you know, taking her, going to the Valindra, kids in school, picking it, going to Valindra, picking the kids up, going to visit her, then, then coming home, make sure they were in bed and everything. Next day, school, on top of, you know, playing as well. Uh, at the top of the game and then going training but I was very lucky again my mum and Ken my stepdad they moved up to Cardiff to uh, you know to help me um, so I, I'd, have, I'd have a great working balance my mum and my mum then look after the kids so but you look at them then and then as like Scott when she passed away my wife Karen so when Scott was seven Grace was three and Gina was one wow so you, there's, there's a different kind of 
perspective on life then. There wasn't, you know, and the importance that was on them, not on me. Um, so, and, and I just, the, you don't know about other people obviously grieve. And this is whether I should have had maybe someone talk to my children. Um, well, the two young ones are too old, uh, too young, Scott maybe, but as they're getting older, and they think, some, a lot of them think, oh, I didn't know their mum, you know, and that's, because I was 14, I didn't know my dad really, because you don't have much time. So they, and they, they were different. So I just hope now that I've, again, with the loving environment, um, with my, my family's close, whether you've, you know, you know, you've done as well as you possibly could. And that's always maybe a threat. But, uh, uh, but I look at them, and all of them now, they look, they're three kids, they, they're, you know, they're happy, they're successful in work, they've got their different personalities and characters, but, you know, hopefully that, you know, I, I can honestly say that I'm proud of they turned up. I know their mums are to be proud of the way they turned up. And I hope that they're proud of the way that I handled it when it was happening. You know, and, and juggling everything, so it's it's kind of then uh, the same scenario. You know, my wife was buried in Llandaff Cathedral. I don't go there to to the grave. I was, you know, I've had a few experiences down there. People talking to me and thinking, "Oh, fuck, this is weird." That's a bit <laughs> like it's a bit little, little bit like afterlife. You think, "Again, I met some weirdos down here," <laughs> but again, I you ought to remember them as they were. Yeah. Not in the ground. Not in the yeah. ground. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a bench and a grave and flowers. I think that's not that's not the memories, are huh? so. Yeah, and I yeah, I I I moved on. You know, and, and I had Molly, another kid. I had Molly then with another, uh, you know, another lady, and then I'm, I'm I'm married to Jay now, and I'm thinking I'm you know maybe the happiest that I've ever been in my life now, and the most settled I am in my life, seeing that the kids are grown up. But it is, you know, you just, uh, it's, again, a different scenario to handle. And as long as you know that the kid, you're always there for the kids, that's, that's the main thing. You know, whatever happens, you're there for them. And they know that 100%. And I think they've been through it. And, you know, I've never, I don't, because I've, it's odd because I did a, um, a speech once with, Damon Hill, Duncan Goodhue, and myself. And the three of us had lost parents and they'd gone on to do their respective uh, you know, things in life. But I've never got into the bereavement side of it and the, char and, and the charity side of it, which I, I do feel strongly about because of the cancer thing. It, I, it's, I, I could have had maybe both of them, but this one I just tied myself to Valindra and that was it. But uh, you know, I think you need, I think the key is, and, and I think it's, it was mental health awareness last week, just a question of, you need someone you can talk to. Yeah. That, that is key. You know, maybe I bought it up as a kid a little bit, you know, because um, I thought I was tough enough to do it. And I'd, I had good family ties. So don't, you know, you just got to hope you make the right uh, kind of decisions in life. Um, I think you just I think you just gotta be a nice person, I think. Because, a decent person. Uh, yeah, yeah, just be a be a decent person. You know, if, so your family and you know, 
can come and speak to you. You know, kids, uh, you're open to your kids. Um, you know, your friends are your friends. You can trust them implicitly. You know, that's that's the main thing. I don't think there's a right or wrong. If you want to go and speak to some counsellor, you go. If it makes you feel better, there's no right or wrong about it. Do you I think, think you there's? Sorry. Do you think there's any areas where in your life where because you've been self-toughened from the experience and because of the the focus you gave your life to just drive forward and and make the most of it you think that there's any areas of your life where you've been maybe difficult to communicate with um or people haven't really got to know the real you because you've carried them um, i just think from personal experience for me i, I think i probably i wouldn't say impressed that on people but i found myself in a position where I, I told myself at the young age, right, you need to be tough. You're going to help your family, you know. Um, like myself and my brother, we were um, in Valindra, and this was the last time I seen my dad. And he was lying on the bed, and he just wanted me and my brother there. And he just spoke to us, and he just said, I remember looking at us in, in the way he could, and he just said, I want you both to promise me something. And I was like, okay, dad, okay. He said that you'll take care of your mother and your brothers and yeah, sister. Yeah, yeah. You know? And God, I took that fucking seriously. <laughs> you know, I took yeah, that seriously. Do. I carried that and I still carry it now. And although we've had our falling outs as family, as you do, yeah. that for me at that point, it was like that carried me because I I did everything I could. I drove different miles, take my brother's sister around, did everything I could until a point where they didn't want me anymore because it was like, you're just my older yeah. brother. You're not my father. Yeah, Out of my life, yeah, I'm getting yeah. on. Um, so I probably yeah. became too interfering. But I definitely then carried that into my career. It was definitely quite hard-nosed early on. You know, I'd work all the hours under the sun and do what needed doing. And I found it was only probably the last, I'd say, eight, eight years, really, where people start to realize the real me. But I've allowed myself to be vulnerable, to be judged where before I was just kind of focused? Yeah, it's, I, I just think, irrespective of what your dad said, uh, you know, I suppose in his last, one of his last requests, is that, that you, you, you hope you'd have done that anyway. Yeah. You know, and I think that, like, would I have changed if my dad was alive? And I'm thinking, I don't know if I would, because I remember him telling me, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And he told me that when I wasn't important. Yeah. So you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. um, but it's, it's, it's a very, very testing time, right? And I'm not sure there's nothing worse when you're having it, you know, if you're the one going through it. But everyone I've kind of known who's gone through it, irrespective of survival or not, they've kind of accepted it. And they've gone through it like, and they, they are, most of the people are unbelievable that go through it. But what effect, I think, the effect it has on the loved ones is is very, very tough as well. And it's how you kind of got close ranks and cope with it, I think is vitally important to how you go on. What happens when you go through that toughest period ever is kind of instills it in it for life then I think you know it, it shows your true character you know 
how you cope with adversity, how you handle pressure, how your emotions are when with other people. Because, you know, sometimes I remember going to Valinda with my wife and sitting down there waiting for test results, whether she's going to, you know, live or die. People are asking you for autographs. It's like, oh my God, you know, yeah. I'd like to just want to say, do me a favor, mate, fuck off, will you? Yeah. But you're thinking, he's there as well for somebody. If I yeah. tell him that, if yeah. I tell him that, like, it I could be the breaking point for him. Yeah. I'm not going to judge, I'm not going to judge him for asking for my yeah. autograph because he's, he's in the same situation as me. He, his head is in the shed. So it's just something to kind of, so you've just got to accept, you know, whatever the circumstances, whatever you are, whatever you're doing. So um, I just think it's, uh, you know, my, I think it's definitely been in my DNA from the effect of my dad, uh, more mm. so than the effect of, of, of my wife, I think. And I'm, the way I look back at it and say, like, how have I done? I think I've done all right. How have my kids, how are my kids doing? They seem to be okay and happy. Not all the time, obviously, because life's yeah. not, not like that. But I think that's the only way you can, uh, you know, you can you can look at it realistically. I think. Do you think you've ever accepted it? Do you think you've ever accepted that that, that situations happened and you've come to terms with it? Do you ever still have moments where you just you think, oh man, I wish it didn't happen. You know. Um, I think you have that in in all walks of life, don't you? I just don't yeah. think it's. Um, I, no, I, I just you know you, you miss them, don't you? That's that's you know it's it's not. I don't think it's about acceptance. I think it's, it's it is moving on. Mm. If you kind of drag your feet and always have like a little bit of a, I you know I'm a working class kid, right? And I worry about. Or what's going to happen if, they, or if I don't work? I've got no qualifications. Or what happens if I don't work? Or, or what happens if you know my, I'm not out of favour? Maybe I worry a bit too much about that because of my upbringing, you know. And then, but I don't know. I just no. I, I don't know. Did you ever accept it? I don't know. It just it's happened, and whatever it's part of life, part of your life. So you're not whether you accept it or not. It's not going to change. So I don't worry about things that I can't control a lot of the time. So I just got to, you know, just think positively all the time because it could, when that happens, it, it, you know, it, it, you could go, a lot of people do go spiraling down. And that's when you've got to think, right, okay, that's, that's when you got to, you know, to maybe talk to people because it's not, it's not only death you know, where you maybe go spiraling down. It's like when you have a, it's a lot is is abuse worse than death? And I think that maybe that is the case. Because okay. abuse, like, you know, he's there and you think, my dad died, he loved me. Then you get an abusive situation, relationship. You're there in an environment where they should be loving and the bloke who has total responsibility for you is beating the shit out of you. So, you know, it's kind of, it's, it is what it is and you've got to cope with it as well as you can. But don't be scared to talk. So that's it. What would you say? Would you say that's your best three bits of advice? What would your best three bits of advice for anybody who's going through it? Um, so obviously, we know oh, there's a lot of people going through this now, and they will in the future. Um, 
you know so if you were to say to somebody you know the three areas that i would just give your opinion on you know a bit of advice what, what would they be uh i think uh first thing is you know is like it's, i don't like i don't like telling people like what to do because i don't know them yeah so i never tell people how to suck eggs you know like That's when fair, i go yeah. and do a motivational talk or a leadership talk or i've led different teams of motivated people um i've had to motivate myself in you know situations of you know of death so I think one is that you focus, you know, you got to write, okay, because I think after the food, after the funeral or the, or the prep, you see right back, you know, then it's kind of closure in a way. And you've got to try and accept that and move on, but it's very difficult. So it's just a focus, filling it, you know, trying to be, have life with a purpose and try and fill your time. I think, you know, that's, and then, you know, look after your responsibilities, you know, don't neglect your responsibilities because when, you know, when my father died, my responsibilities was to my mum and my sister, um, not being, a, you know, turning into a complete ass. And then with my wife was like responsibly with my kids and, and earning, a, earning a living. So it's getting the balance, which is right, you know, and, and um, not kind of languishing in self-pity, I suppose, but it's, it's people are, people are very different. People's situations are very different. So, but I think if you can talk to someone, you know, I think that's, that's key because you, in all, in all my walks of life, I've, I've always had someone I can, and I can go to like a, and talk about different situations in life. Um, so that's, I think that's the important thing. And do you think if, if you hadn't experienced what you have when you were younger, do you think you would have gone on to achieve what you've achieved? Or do you think that gave you well, an edge? I, uh, I don't know. Steph, it's coming from, like, from Sarah and giving me an edge. But I suppose, hope maybe I'd have, I'd have gone on for better things because my dad was there. My dad would have been a presence. Yeah. You know, stuck in school. You know, the rugby was delayed. He'd been helping me with the rugby uh, because he was very influential in the rugby and, and loved and liked the rugby. And he'd have been there all the time with me because I remember him, right? Okay, make sure you look good. Shoes are polished, your boots are polished, your socks are tied up, get the, you know, elastic bands, tie your socks up, make sure you're clean and tidy. So make make sure make sure you look good before you play. So I th yeah. I think maybe it's not because of what happened that I kind of achieved what I did, it drove me. Hopefully I think that would have drove myself in the same way, but with the help of my dad as well. I think maybe I'd have maybe done better in life with him next door to me as well. So, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's what I'm thinking. And what's your best memory of your dad? Uh, having a race on the beach in uh, in Kevin and Beach. Me, my mum, my dad and my sister having a race. I never raced my dad ever. He was, he was quicker than me and that was, you know, until I got... I suppose, you know, I'd have been in my eight, when I was 18, I might have raced, beaten him in the race because he was getting older. <laughs> I didn't beat my mum until I was 14, 15. No, so that was, uh, so, you know, was, um, so that's what we did. It was competitive. We played, I remember playing bowls on the beach, you know, different coloured balls. Yeah. Playing bowls on the beach, playing, you know, cricket, uh, you know, just, 
having lovely family time. And, and if there was one thing, if, if, if you could let your father know one thing about you, about your whole life from the time he's passed to now, if there's only one thing in your life you could share with him, what would that be? Uh, hope, hopefully being a good dad. Yeah. Nothing else. Just hopefully, you know, I've been a good son and I've been a good, I've been a good person. That's the main thing, you know, not always maybe done a fit like everyone else. <laughs> not perfect, uh, but try. Like. Yeah, not perfect, but like I've been a, I've been a good son and a, and a, and a good dad, I hope. Mm. But I just think, a good person. Nice, a yeah. good person. And I think if you've, if you've gone on to live out, you know, it's, it's nice to be important, but more important to yeah, be nice. Yeah. I think if, you, if you've gone out to live that, then, yeah, I think that's the... That's yeah. the I think it's very difficult, way. you know. It's like you know, you know, in your line of work in a garage, people look up to you, um, and you can't please everyone. And no. I've lived, whether good or bad, I've lived my life, in, a lot of it, in the public eye. You know, since, I, since I was 20... 22 lived lived my life in the public eye and um, you know it's not it's very people not everyone makes no no one makes the right decisions all the time and some decisions i've made have been stupid but it's been magnified because i've lived it's been in the public eye so you know and it is it is what it is but um it's you know, one life you've got to live it and you've got to be happy and enjoy it and just try and, you know, be supportive of your family and be close to your family. Um, and yeah, I think you just got to try to be as happy as you possibly can. And, you know, I, I always tell my kids, my dad died when, you know, he was, I think it was 44, was it? 44, I think he was. I'm going to live till I'm 90. So even the kids, I'm going to piss the kids off. I'm gonna to live till like ninety. I've decided, like you know. So <laughs> that's that's uh, that's one goal. So I'm trying to so, make sure that so, happens. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm gonna try and do. That's what I'm gonna try and do. And I think that's I think that's fantastic because for me, obviously, my father was 41, and I'll be honest, I went through um, a mental blockage. You know, it was only I turned 40 back in August, and for me, it was a real breakthrough moment in a way. Because I always had that age of my father and I always kind of worried yeah. when I was getting close that it, it could be me. And, you know, I've gone on from thinking, you've got to max your life, max your life, max your life, because yeah. it, it could be you then, to yeah. now. I'm like, I'm halfway through, you know, I'm, yeah, thinking, you are, I'm, just, yeah, yeah. I'm halfway through, you know, and there's yeah. so much more to come that that's probably one way I look back that, yes, it pushed me to do a lot of the things I've done. And it really drove me forward and I've done it with, you know, pace, acceleration. I got it done. But at the same time, some things I rushed too much because yeah. <clears throat> I didn't see my kids enough, um, even though like, my eldest is 14. But it's I very really difficult. Like, you know, when you're working and you know? trying to get up the ladder, it's very difficult for the balance. And I think they appreciate that. You know, they are the kids. You, know, you want to look back and say, well, dad did as much as he possibly can for, for me. And, you know, it's very difficult to get a about you know work-life balance you know such so difficult and uh because ultimately you're trying to do what's best for your kids and giving them the best best you know life they can possibly have so it's um yeah i, I remember sitting down in uh I was in, well, in my wife's funeral and uh some guy just he, he was at the funeral I, I think he was drinking in a 
uh, butchers in Landeff with me. And I was like a bit like, you know, a family were there and everything. And, you know, you're just in a bit of a daze in the, you know, in the, in the wake. And um, I remember I went, you know, back home to my mum and then like just cried after everyone had gone uh, with my mum. Uh, but because when you're worried, I suppose, how are you going to cope? But I remember sitting down in the bloke, the bloke in Landeff and he said, oh, yeah, you know, um, well, my wife, my first wife passed away with uh, cancer and then I met someone else and she's passed away with cancer as well. So you're thinking, my God, you know, like a bloke yeah. who was like going to my funeral and he's, he's lost two wives through cancer. So there's always someone going to be worse off than you. And then, and I think it just hits home in, you know, in this lockdown now where, yes, hard work. It is hard work. You know, you get sometimes you get your down days, you get your up days. But you just got have a look at your surroundings and say, right, hang on, my mum's safe, hopefully, you know, then all, all my kids are okay and <clears throat> we'll kind of return to normal afterwards and just make sure that we're all okay when we come back. So, you know, it's just um, persp- life is different perspective, puts different perspective on life and then you've got to, you know, to realise that. In terms of... Um being the president of, of Valindra, how have Valindra been coping in the lockdown? And you know, how are, how yeah, are they growing? Difficult. And, it's been yeah. difficult because fundraising is is difficult uh, because it's on stop. So a lot of the, our ambassadors and supporters have just done amazing work, you know, doing crazy things. Um, but also, you know, when you see the doctors working, not only coping with cancer now with coronavirus, and then people. You know, with cancer, are scared to go to hospital because they think they're going to get coronavirus or spread it. So it's kind of, you know, double whammy, really. Uh, but you know, I'm sure, you know, they live in a in, they live in a world that's all about perspective, and um, you know, they make right decisions under pressure all the time. And I'm sure that this is just another test for them that you know they, they're doing as well as they possibly can. So because. You know, I have so much admiration for the hospital and all the staff that's in there. It's just unbelievable because they deal with death every day. And this is not a new, it's a new thing for them, but death is not. So it's uh, just another thing they've got to cope with um, on, on top of on top of the job that they're doing, which is unbelievable. But you know, that's, that's the same in all over the country. Yeah? And if people want to support... Um... <clears throat> Belindra Hospital. Um, what's the best ways of getting in touch? Oh, what's the best way to yeah, support? Yeah, like, uh, fund is a Belindra, If you just look up Belindra fundraising, you know, they've got a website. They've got their own social media, so um, you know they take donations all the time. Just ring up, and then uh, you know they'll uh, they sort you out. But um, yeah, at the moment, you know people are doing great things, and there's a lot of you know, especially when you got to think of it, people are not sure of of their kind of income or their work. So, you know, to donate is, is, is a special thing to do. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's what it is, you know? Okay. So if you're going to give, um, one last thought on, you know, growing, growing through grief, <clears throat> if you were just to give the listeners just one last thought on that in terms, just as a, a takeaway piece of how you could maybe, point them in a direction or I, um, I, I just think 
people are people are so different, and um, like I said, I don't like telling people what what to do. Um, I think because there's you know no one, there's no right or wrong way to, to deal with it. I think what you got to do is not not be scared because you are scared, but, to, but you're scared of the unknown and what's going to happen. I think what you got to do is have have the confidence to to do what you think is right. So if you need to speak to someone or you've got someone who they can, you can speak to, you speak to them. If you don't need to speak to them, you think you can cope, you know, just don't worry about it. No, no one's written a book to say what's right or wrong. What, what there's guidelines there to help you. So make sure you, you do whatever you think is, is the best thing to help you. That is the thing. There's, there's things out there now that, that can help people everywhere or on all different, um, kind of uh, matters so it's just a question of is don't bottle it up do what you know talk and just make sure you do what you think is right for you that's that's i think that's that's the main thing um but trying try i think it's try and move on i think it's try and move on because you, i think whoever's passed away don't want you to you know wallow in self-pity i, I think it's so easy to do that because, and, it, and it's difficult to get out of it as well. You know, it's not, but that's the one thing. Try and be strong enough in any way you can to get out of that hole that you're in because it's a massive hole. It's a big, dark hole and you can't see anything other than doom and gloom, right? But that's the step you've got to get out and like, like say, right, here I am. Step out of it when any way you can get support, talk to friends, talk to family, talk to counsellors. But that's what you got to do. I think it's a, a really, really good piece of advice to take away. Really, I think for yes. myself, I just want to say um, I'm sincerely grateful for you spending the time today. It's a really, um, it's a deep level for some people to go to to talk about grief, um, and you've experienced it in you know such such a way. Um, so for you to come on today and just, you know, give the listeners something to, to relate to, um, something to hold on to, yeah. to look at how you've gone on in your career to use it as a driving force, um, reflecting on family, you know, relationships, children, you know, there's so many areas that people will have worries about when this hits them in their life. Yeah. Um, I think you've got a story for each part. And as you very much said, you haven't got maybe the right answers, but they're your answers. No, yeah, um, they were right. For, they were right for me, so, you know. And it's just, you know, the things are different, you know, for you in your situation. You know, with with more brothers and sisters, and you know, your mum. So, but and it's <clears throat> even now, it's like forty odd years ago. It's I still find it quite emotional when you talk about it. You know, I'd like you got to hold and check. You know, because you could easily burst into tears. Mm. You know, because that's it's it's still it's still those moments where you say when you walk up to Thornhill, you know, they're still very, very raw. And and sometimes okay. when I when I've done when I do public speaking, I come to that point, I've really got to check myself, you know, to say, right, okay, you gotta just breathe, control your breathing, control your emotions, and then try and get it out there, you know, because you could get carried away and then you you know, you could break down. And I know it's it's very, very difficult. So, um, you know, even 40, it's, ne it's never, ever going to go away. Yeah, and that's, and that's something I, I truly believe. It, it doesn't go away. People have asked me, and I just say, no. 
it it doesn't get easier you just get stronger you know yeah. we we don't get easier it'll always hurt if like you say if you yeah. allow your emotions to to be susceptible to that feeling you will end up crying yeah. and being emotional yeah um you just get stronger you almost like train it's like train your muscle yeah. inside yeah to, to yeah. cope with it you know and that the more you go through that moment of suppressing it at the right time yeah the stronger you get and it just it becomes easier to put it or decompartmentalize um, it as you say yeah it's easier to do that but when you open that box you feel it yeah um, yeah you know so yeah and it's also like you know it's it's one of these things like my kids go to me, oh, dog, you've got no gray area, so it's either black or white. I don't want to be like that. Sometimes you go, oh, don't show your emotions, you don't cry. Sometimes I will cry on my own, but you know, I'm not going to be, you know, looking for kind of uh, someone to shoulder to cry on. I'll, I'll, you know, that's, that's up to me to pick on that and do it whenever I want, but like, you know, it, it's what it is, isn't it? And then it's, uh, you just got to try and. Try and cope with it and try and get on with it, I think. I find that now with uh, my children because, you know, sometimes I look at them and I think about my dad and I think about yeah. being a grandfather and not being there to see him. And then you have the odd thought about yourself, hoping that you live a long life. And sometimes you get emotional and you just think you don't want to see your kids to see you like that. And it's not because it's wrong for them to see you like that. I'm going to say to everyone else no. that you no. shouldn't allow it. But it's just maybe... Is for me and the era that you know, like yourself and I grew up. Obviously, a little bit later than you, but in a very similar era where you know it's just how you grew up. It was just yeah. how it was and how you remember it, and yeah. it's, it's how. And it's I, I, I think you know you look. You think that oh, his dad looked down and go, yeah, he's, he's done all right. You know, he's, he's my my mum's look after her kids look all right. You know, my wife's well, <laughs> you know. Um, it's one of those things that you think, right, okay, I'm done too bad. <laughs> that's it. No, I think that's the key thing. If they can look down on us and just say, well, yeah, done, so, and they don't know, you know the kids are okay and everything. That's the main yeah. thing. A lot worse, there's a lot of people are worse, worse off than us. So there we are. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining me today on uh, yeah, cheers, cheers, Yeah, brilliant. I really appreciate it. It's good chat. I hope it's, and I think it's just, you know, wherever this goes out, the people listen to it. And, uh, you know, if we can help them in any small way, it's uh, you know, it's 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 nice. Definitely, and I think that's that's what that's what the podcast is about. It's about just trying to reach out to people to say, if you're going through a tough time at the moment, you know, yeah, it's tomorrow that counts. Is it's based on the fact that there's a lot of people that would have been through a similar situation or the same, and yeah. they would have got through it. And there is a way. There's always yeah. a way. You've just got to yeah. build on it and surround yeah. yourself with the right people. So yeah, you know. you know you don't want the card. You know you don't want the the cards you've been dealt sometimes. But you know there's a lot of people in a lot a lot better off than us. And there's a lot there's a lot 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 people in worse off than us. So yeah. it's how you bounce back it is, and you know that's what you've got to do. Right, perfect. Thank you very much. I'll uh, cheers, man. To it now, but thank you, and uh, let's no, keep pleasure. in touch. Yeah, let's uh, copy me. In, are you on Twitter? Are you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, yeah. So well, there we are. Copy me in on the podcast and see and I'll have a look at it then. Perfect. There okay. we are. Thanks, Jonathan. Take care. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks again for joining me on this week's episode of It's Tomorrow That Counts. I really do appreciate your support and I hope that this has brought some value to your life and purpose. This journey belongs to you, so please choose your direction and commit. I'll see you next week.